The incarnation is just so amazing, it's hard to fathom. Jesus being God in the flesh and coming as a vulnerable child, and we just looked at that mystery and celebrated that mystery earlier this week and earlier in chapter 2 in the Gospel of Luke. And amazingly enough, we are already going to be moving to the reality of God coming in a 12-year-old boy. So before we get into that story, I think it's actually helpful for us to think a moment about child development stage of a 12-year-old boy. I've been checking around on that and uh, asking some people who work with 12-year-olds. It's interesting. First thing that came up was video games, like video games. But think about that. What do we know about 12-year-old child development? It's a time of such enormous change, right? Physically, emotionally, hormonally, sexually, cognitively, spiritually, too. I want to read to you two quotes in what I read. Twelve-year-olds have their moments of both acting like the child you've always known and suddenly turning into a little adult right in front of you. One more quote. They love their parents and don't want anything to do with them. <laughs> I was talking to another couple in this church who have gone through the season of parenting and now are in the season of grandparenting. And when I talked about that season of adolescence and jumping into adolescence, the comment that she said was, it's hard on everybody. Many would not want to relive those years of their own adolescence. Many parents would not want to relive those years of raising their adolescence. I know that was true for my mom, who raised seven teenagers through the 60s. She didn't even want to see pictures of that time in her life. <laughs> but there's something extremely valuable about that time. And as we are in Jesus' story here, at age 12, which is the only place in scripture we find this glimpse into Jesus' life as a 12-year-old boy, I just want you to be aware of that which is invaluable in this stage of life. Now, this chapter is full of milestones for Jesus, not only his birth, but all the things that were required in the Jewish faith, in the temple, circumcision, naming him, dedication, and now at age 12, what would be called bar mitzvah, becoming a son of the law. And as a son of the law, he was required now to meet the requirements of any Jewish male that is in the law, and one of those requirements is that you would go up to Jerusalem to the temple if you lived within a 15-mile radius of the city to celebrate the Passover. So this is his first Passover as a legitimate male. So this is our entrance into this scripture, Luke 2, verses 41 to 52, and I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Open our ears and our hearts and our lives to you and to your word, Spirit of the living God. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Listen to God's word to you. This is Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 41. Now every year, 
Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. Now when the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey, and then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw Jesus, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. And then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. What did you find most striking in that story? There's a lot in there, isn't there? Perhaps if you are a parent, you would identify with the anxiety, right? Three days is a long time to not know where your 12-year-old boy is. And before you judge them for not knowing for a while, those kinds of caravans were very safe for families, so it was justifiable that they thought he was with them. Three days, long time, and when the Greek word here says that they were anxious, that word depicts a lot of suffering and a lot of pain. Perhaps you're thinking of Joseph. What a big ouch. Your father and I have been searching for you with great anxiety. Well, didn't you know I have to be in my father's house, i.e. not him? Is that a big ouch for Joseph, maybe? Then we see at the end, they all went back to Nazareth, and he was obedient. He was obedient to them. He's a good kid. But there is now this larger awareness that there is a great claim upon his life, more than his parents have upon him. Bar mitzvah, yes. Son of the law, yes. But son of God, I had to be in my father's house. And maybe Jesus was right. Maybe they shouldn't have been surprised. Maybe they should have expected this. After all, if you read just a few verses earlier, they had just dedicated him in the temple. They had dedicated him to the Lord, and he belonged to God. And isn't that the role of the family for all of us? Our understanding of youth ministry here, raising our children, is sticky faith. It's in the family that we are most influenced and formed and shaped in our faith. And when we baptize here, we are taking a vow to raise our children to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. So isn't that the role? 
I love the story, and I've told it before, about a man in Atlanta, he used to be the mayor of Atlanta, his name's Andrew Young, and his daughter came home from college, and she announced to her dad, she said, you know, I heard a missionary talking about ministry in Uganda, and I've been thinking about this and really praying about this, Daddy, and I feel like God wants me to take a year off and to go minister in Uganda. Andrew took a deep breath. He said, well, honey, there are a lot of poor people right here in Atlanta that could use your help. She said, yes, Daddy, I know that, but I really believe that God is calling me to go to Uganda. Honey, it's dangerous there in Uganda. You might get hurt. Daddy, I know that, but I could get hurt right here. Yes, but you could get killed there. Daddy, I could be killed in anytime, anywhere. I really have been thinking about this and praying about this, and I believe that God is calling me to go to Uganda. Well, Andrew Young thought about this, and he prayed about this, and finally he came to a place of letting go, kind of loosening his grasp on his daughter and being willing to bless her gap year to go to Uganda. When my daughter walked onto that airplane, he wrote, I realized that in baptizing her and raising her, what I said I wanted most for her was that she would become a respectable Christian, but I wasn't prepared for her to become a real one. You know, I wonder if Mary and Joseph felt that same way. Earlier when they dedicated Jesus in the temple, you know, they really wanted to dedicate Jesus in the temple. He's the firstborn. And for the firstborn, as it says in verse 23, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. Yes! That's what parents are called to do. Sticky faith. We believe it but it doesn't mean we're good at it or that we always enjoy it. Children break away. That's what they do. That's what they're supposed to do, right? Breaking away and growing into the larger claim of God upon our lives. And it may not be in a direction that's respectable. And it may not be in a direction that's popular. And it may not be in a direction that's lucrative or safe. Simeon told Mary earlier when they were dedicating Jesus in the temple, he was this really, really righteous older man who was waiting for the salvation of God. And when he saw Jesus being dedicated, he went over to him, started prophesying about him. And he said, Mary... This son of yours is going to be uh, for the rising and falling of many, and he will be a sword who will pierce your own heart. And now at age 12, it is beginning to happen, right? And as we move through the story of Jesus, we're going to see over and over again how he's breaking away from the expectations of others upon him over and over and over again. We get into Mark 3, and Jesus is with a crowd of people. He's healing, and people tell him, hey, your mom's outside. Your brothers and your sisters are outside. And you know what he says? He looks around at the crowd, and he goes, hey, anyone that does the will of God, that's my mother. That's my sister. That's my brother. Hmm. Joseph's not alone. Big ouch. 
This is my mom, my brother, and my sisters. No, he's breaking away from the expectations of others upon him. He even says later, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not weep. He quoted that saying because he said, people want me to behave a certain way and I'm not. And then this verse in John 6, 15, which is very powerful. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king, he didn't want a kingdom. He didn't want to be our kind of king. And so he withdrew by himself to pray. Breaking away. Adolescent breaking away from other people's expectations upon him and also from our expectations for Jesus. Without even knowing it, it is so easy for us to want Jesus to be the fulfillment of our expectations, right? To be the fulfillment of our prayers, not God's. Giving us what we want. But Jesus didn't come to give us the life we want. Jesus came to give us the life that God wants. To be the answer to God's prayers. For our flourishing. For our healing. For God's loving purposes for this world. And that may look very different than what we expect. Or what we want. In our messy lives in our broken world. It's a pastor by the name of Will Williman from the South, and he writes about a woman in his church who was wrestling with her cancer and wrestling with her cancer in prayer and really made it a prayer project, praying fervently that God would defeat this cancer in her body and make her well. And as Willimon said, sometimes Jesus healed people, so she's perfectly justified in praying such a prayer. But she wasn't healed. So the next time he saw her and met with her and wanted to pray with her, he asked her ahead of time, what would you like me to pray for you? And she said this, well, it appears that for whatever reason, Jesus is not going to reach in and take this cancer away from me. So now I've got to figure out what he's up to. He appears to be once again taking my life in a direction other than the one I expected. So now I'd like you to pray for the wisdom and the courage to figure out where he's headed and then to walk and work with him. It's a hard prayer, isn't it? And perhaps it's the same prayer that Mary and Joseph prayed after they'd found Jesus in the temple. They were on their way back home to Nazareth, letting go of their expectations a bit and opening themselves to what God was doing in their 12-year-old son and in the world. Yesterday morning I was driving here right after sunrise, and I was coming into the office to work on my sermon, and as I got off Highway 101, and 101's pretty far from here, right? I don't know, how far do you think it is? Mile, mile and a half? 
Soon as I turned off and I was on Britain coming up toward the church, I could see the cross on the steeple immediately. And it was like the sun was just beaming off of our cross. Uh, it took my breath away. It was like, whoa, that's our church. That's the cross on our church. And it was amazing to think that you could see that cross from such a distance. And as I noticed that and was delighting in that and actually drawn by that, I thought, wow, maybe the people that built this church did that on purpose. They knew that it would reflect the rays of the sun and it would get people's attention and it would be a beacon in the community. And I felt a little bit of pride. It's like, wow, people can see us from all over the place. And then it occurred to me, what makes us a beacon in this community is not that silver metal on the top of our steeple. What makes us a beacon is the way we're living. Living like Jesus, cruciform living. That's what makes us a beacon here. And so I started thinking, what does that look like? It isn't necessarily being respectable, right? It isn't necessarily doing the popular thing, right? Or the safe thing. And I was thinking about for myself, I feel like the way Jesus is leading me is in the direction of very unpopular topics, like prison reform and immigration reform, police reform. Adolescence is not comfortable, is it? Some of us feel like we're stuck in it. I've heard some people say, you know that adolescent tendency to think that everybody's looking at me all the time? I feel like I'm kind of stuck in that. Kind of thinking everybody's looking at me and wondering what they're thinking all the time. Or that adolescent longing to belong, to be a part of the group, really caring so deeply what your peers think. Whatever it is, Maybe there's parts of adolescent life like pimples that you just wish would go away. But there's something about adolescence that hopefully will continue for the rest of our lives, that wrestling and breaking away from the expectations that others have on you that are not God's expectations. Breaking away from the expectations that we have for Jesus that are not gods. You know, we're told that Mary was there at the end of Jesus' life when he did the opposite of what she hoped and perhaps expected. And that is, he did absolutely nothing when that hateful mob essentially came and lynched him and tortured him and humiliated him on the cross, which is the most unbearable piercing of a mother's heart you can imagine. But we also know that Mary was there when Jesus appeared to them all alive, completely shattering all of their expectations for him. And I want you to think about and imagine what it was like for them to go home that night after seeing Jesus alive. Probably 
more aware than ever of the larger claim of God upon their lives, more than they had thought the day before, more than they were aware the year before, this larger claim of God's love and call upon our lives. May we all go home today with that kind of awareness, different than we felt a year ago, more aware than ever of God's claim upon our lives in his baptism, in our dedication. Let's pray. Oh God, as we end this year and begin a new one, fill us with the spirit of Jesus, free of all expectations except yours. Fill us with Jesus' adolescent courage and clarity to go the hard direction of you and your servant love, your wisdom. Help us to know you as our Abba, and to be about your work in the year ahead. For we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.